I think Superman probably has a very good sense of humor. I never heard him say anything really funny. But it's common sense. He's got super strength, super speed. I'm sure he's got super humor. You would think that, but either you're born with a sense of humor or you're not. It's not going to change even if you go from the red sun of Krypton all the way to the yellow sun of the Earth. Why? Why would that one area of his mind not be affected by the yellow sun of Earth? I don't know, but he ain't funny. March 1st, 2015. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Twip Show. That was boisterous. I'm a boisterous fella. I guess. Just ask me. I, uh, um... Go on. Are, are you a yes! boisterous <laughs> See what I did there? I, that was good, actually. Thank you. I'm... <laughs> So pleased you would acknowledge my goodness. <laughs> so, guess what? I don't know. We've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. Oh, well, that's nice. The post-it's filling up. <laughs> that sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Um, okay. Let's start by saying that... Sven Halverson is the new assistant director on The Pendant Shakespeare. Ah, uh, yes. Welcome. Welcome to the director mind, Sven. It's great to have you here, and we could certainly use the help over there. Definitely. And, which that um brings me, uh, Sven, by the way, was the uh, first graduate of the most recent director class that Good I had. Good job! Have. So, yes, he did a great job. He finished the three physical challenges. <laughs> the feats of strength. <laughs> That's right. The airing of grievances. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so let's talk some more about Shakespeare. Oh, okay. Shakespeare, for anybody who's been paying attention, has not had a hiatus in over two years. It's been running straight through. Wow. Yeah. And Mr. Landon Bell's been directing the show that time. And boy, is he tired. He is getting tired, which is why we sent Sven over there to help him out. But uh, we're going to give him a little bit of a break. I think he deserves one after over two years of straight directing. So... Um, Julius Caesar's going to finish up. It's still going to come out. I think Act 3 is next or 4. I forget which one we're on. I'm sorry. My apologies. But after Julius Caesar ends, we're going to do uh, an episode of Sonnets, as normally follows the plays. And then there's going to be a two-month break. And then it will return with Comedy of Errors, which will be the first production that Swen assists on. Excellent. So, that, uh, just so you know that that is coming up, uh, the two-month uh, hiatus it'll have will be during the summer i think it's june and july but i'm not positive on that but you can check on the um release schedule on the yeah, website we could have done that too but we didn't in the coming soon section <laughs> it has been updated um uh so you can check on that there and find out which months it will be on hiatus and that was another thing i was going to mention is that the release uh schedule on the coming soon section has been updated through october of this year now all the way through um it does not have a return date for Tabula Rasa or the Kingery. Uh, the Kingery is still going, but obviously the season is going to be ending shortly when we get to uh, the 12th episode of season seven. And so both of those will be on hiatus. We don't have return dates yet, but once we do, we'll add them to the calendar. But everything else is on there through October. And you'll notice a new thing on there, which brings me to some more news items. Fantastic. Henderson and Havner is coming back. Yes. Season two. Not for a while, what? but June seventeenth. Oh wow, you said season a date. two Ooh, premieres. You must be serious about. Oh, this. we're serious. <laughs> now the entire 
Main cast is coming back. Woo! Let you know. Joe J. Thomas is Henderson, and M. Sierra Garcia is Havener, and Tom Stitzer is Chiefy, and Kristen Bays as Captain, and Philip Weber is our stalwart announcer. Indeed. And Teresa Keller is going to be returning to script editing duties for Henderson and Havener. How about that? Welcome back. Great to have you back. That's awesome. The gang's all here. And season two's episodes are going to be a little bit longer. They're a little bit longer. Don't get too excited. You get a little bonus. But uh, they're probably going to average maybe, I'd say, around two minutes longer than season one, maybe three, somewhere in there. Instead of being more like five to six pages, since they're kind of like seven to eight, sometimes nine. So it's slightly longer, but... So you get more awesome! That's right. So I know you've all been missing those two wackadoodles, and <laughs> I'm... They are indeed wackadoodles. Right? So I'm very happy to say that that is back in production now. We finally got uh, the scripts uh, done. We've written the whole season. all eight. It'll have uh, an eight-episode season again. And Susan and I have written them both. And, um, Wait, and Cat. You didn't mention Cat. Yes, that's right. Cat will have a uh, major recurring role in the Woo! show this season. Uh, Catherine Pride, of course, uh, who has an interview later in this episode. Stay tuned for that. Um, yeah. So that is cool. Welcome. Glad to have you with us, Cat. Um, but Again! yes, Susan and I wrote all of them already. They have not all gone through the script editor yet. They're doing one a month, as usual, with pendant shows. But. Uh, we got the first drafts of them done, and so uh, we needed to get all that out of the way because we're busy with other things that you'll find out about eventually. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, so much waiting. So much. Well, it's not just waiting. There's things that we're doing. It's not. We're that not we just can. sitting around. Well, okay. Yes. Moving on. Okay. My last bit of news was just to say that this is your only twip for March. Oh my goodness. Right. Uh, we've got a couple of episodes uh, these next couple of weeks. We've got Kingery and Shakespeare, but then Tabula Rasa's off and Seminar is off this month and Henderson Havner hasn't started back up yet and Tabula Rasa's not back. So we have a uh, uh, quick audio, of course, through the uh, rest of the month, but we have no other um, big releases on the Wednesdays. And so this is going to be your only twip for March, uh, but we will be back on April 5th and then we will have another twip then. So that's yeah. Easter. Is that actually Easter? Yes. Twip will rise <laughs> from the grave. Yep, nothing blasphemous about it. And it shall come to you and say, Eat my eggs. Whoa. My colored twip eggs. Put them in your mouth huh. and chew. What is happening? <laughs> What's happening is that we've run out of steam, so we're going to the interview. Got it. From Winston-Salem, North Carolina, we have Catherine Pride on the line. Hi, Kat. Hello. Hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> I've been waiting a long time for this. <laughs> I'm really glad you guys sent in questions because he wasn't kidding. He wasn't going to let me leave. <laughs> I have you now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we have a lot of questions have been submitted. And <laughs> I, of course, have some of my own. Um, I don't know, yeah, guys, I don't know what else we're going to talk about. Um, <laughs> it, it, forget, I, I guess we'll just we'll start. I guess we'll just do whatever you want me to do. I just I'm here to answer questions. That's all. 
And uh, hopefully you will, because otherwise this becomes very short and one-sided. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to play around. I'm just going to get right, right to it. Um, what was behind your pivotal role as shopkeeper in uh, <gasps> Phantom Canyon? <laughs> so my, my pivotal role as the shopkeeper, I sold, I sold stuff. Um, well... <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I, I auditioned with a lot of other folks for um, for Phantom Canyon. I was really thrilled that I got cast just because um, I've been wanting Pendant to move into the direction of um, also having uh, paid shows um, just because I feel like, you know, we put out stuff that is good enough to actually be, you know, paid for with a modest little fee. Yeah. Um, and it was very nice to be part of the inaugural effort of that. So, um so it was really cool to play, you know, the kind of I, I it felt like like a pendant cameo and the whole like, you know, if this if I was a major studio actor, this would be like the equivalent of me just walking in like Neil Patrick Harris at the end of Harold and Kumar. Like it felt like that. Um, it's just like, hey, I'm here for a little bit and then I'm gone. And uh, and Chris had that, too. So it was just like we both popped in. And we were like, hey, we're here. Check out who we are. This is a cool role. Bye. You have been in or associated with every show in pendant except <laughs> one except yes. one and that and that show was only a four episode i guess mini series so had it been around longer you probably would have been in it too <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah if i could have i would have been in red sands oh uh, i think it was a i think it was bad timing um on my part, like I think I was in college and traveling, and um, and it was just a short short run for the show. So the one casting call was it, and I missed it. <laughs> so let's go back, 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 way back. And um, how did you how did you first get started with Pendant? Oh goodness, how did I start with Pendant? Oh, I've been I've been here so long. I've been okay, you guys, you guys. I've been here so long. That I remember the very first layout of the pendant website. Okay, <laughs> well, I remember back when we were we, they were casting via the voice acting alliance, which is how I found pendant. I had I was a I was a freshman in college. I had just taken an interest in all of this voice acting stuff because I was interested in uh, trying to find something to do that was theaterish um, before I went to college because I had that, you know I by that point in. In the last couple of years, I discovered how much I loved theater, and then I was going to at least minor in theater. I didn't realize I'd end up majoring in it. Um, so I was trying to find something to buy, uh, uh, you know, buy my time, and I started working on the concept for Avalon because I loved the idea of a superhero show. And um, with with uh, with the Voice Acting Alliance, I think I did like one or two episodes of. Avalon, I had cast Laura Post based off of her work on No Man's Land because I was just blown away by her um, over at, uh, I guess that's now a dark, it's a, it's a DP show. So, um, yeah, so, so, and then with Pendant, it was literally that, like, they needed a spunky teen for a show, and so I auditioned for that, and then, boom, I've been stuck with Pendant ever since I can't get away. <laughs> so... They keep me chained up. And locked away when they need me to do assistant directing or write on something. <laughs> well, speaking of being chained up and locked away, your time on Dixie. Yes. So, Is there anything specific, or you want me just? Am I just freestyling here? Um, 
let's let's start with um, with Rennie. Um, when you first when we first met you in Dixie, you you were, I guess, a character with multiple personality disorder. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, um, yeah. When I when I when I auditioned for Dixie, I missed the initial casting call. Um, I, I totally missed the casting call for Dixie herself. I didn't think I could do it, so I, I kind of backed off. And then, no sooner than the auditions were closed, I got an email from Jeffrey being like, "Why did you do that? I expected you to audition." And I'm like, "I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to be auditioning for this crap." So I immediately made sure to audition for the next round in which Brandy was one of the roles. And, um, yeah, I, I auditioned only knowing about the timid, shy part of her personality, the mm-hmm. beaten down by the, by the main villain kind of personality. I had no idea that this nervous little squeaky girl was supposed to be the villain of the show. Um, and so... Uh, Jeff, I think Jeffrey broke that to me about three episodes in to my recording, mm-hmm. and then like an episode later, I got to pour acid on Tommy's hand, and I was like sold. I was like, "This is the best role I've ever had. This is amazing." <laughs> so I love you, Chris Britton. <laughs> so how did you handle going from one character to another, and in some cases, back and forth? Ah, oh man, for Bernie was fun because Bernie slash Geist was like this awesome aerobics exercise for me um, as a voice actor. <laughs> I got very used to switching the voices a lot, but for the most part, um, when we first started out and she was timid still, I actually had to record those lines completely separately, like in a different session, and then I'd come back and do my Geist lines um, because. Uh, Jeffrey basically was just like, I need this voice to be like loud and, and booming and just totally the exact opposite of everything that Vrenny was. And I was like, you got it. I can do that. Um, and so, uh, so at first I did have to actually separate my time. I had to do one in one session and do one in the other. But I think by like the second season, Jeffrey had me switching between the voices quite frequently. Mm-hmm. If not, like, it, scene by scene, it was definitely in a, like, in the same scene, you're going to do this different, these different voices. Um, and it became very easy to switch um, from the hi, Rennie, which I haven't had to do this voice in years, oh, my God, um, <laughs> to the big, booming geist. I mean, it was, like, it was, I don't even, it, like, okay, it's been so long since I've recorded Dixie lines. I don't even know how close that voice was. I'm so sorry. That, that- <laughs> was pretty good oh there we go awesome um <laughs> but yeah i mean it was by the time we were done with the show it was a it was a finely finely tuned engine i could get in the booth and just boom 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 fire off the line switching the voices and had no issues doing it whatsoever best moment is Rennie. uh i think i answered that already even though i've had all of these other moments i still loved the moment when you first realized back in season one that underneath this timid, shy little girl was this evil, evil darkness, and you just wanted to know what it was. The scene where she, where she went after Tommy, in the, in when he's sitting in, in, in jail, and she's sitting there talking to him about how he's going to talk, and she wants power. And she was just so calm, and you could tell that there was just something so dark in her. Yeah, he was trying still to. Still, my favorite. Yeah, he was trying to convince Rennie to 
basically side with him. And yeah, help him. Yeah. yeah. And she turned around and was like, why the hell would I do that? It was right. like, it was, it was, I think, one of my favorite moments I've ever done for Pendant, but especially for that character. I think that pivotal moment was the moment that I went from liking this character to being like, oh, man, you would have to pry this character out of my cold, dead hands. I'm never letting her go. Um, Best Geist moment. Oh. Um, I think it has to be a, a comedic one. Um, and I, I think, if I remember correctly, there was a scene with Geist taking a bubble bath or something. <laughs> Or a mud bath or something. One of those. But it was like Geist in the bath and I'm having to do the Geist voice. And that was like one of the funniest things ever. Um, and if you were to ask me what my favorite Dixie moment, unfortunately it would not be anything involving Geist. It would be my two soldiers with the bunt cakes. Um, <laughs> would you like to touch my bunt? I love you, David. And I love you, Philip. <laughs> Let's shift gears a little bit. Sure. Let's jump shows. Um, going to the line. Okay. What attracted you to first the line and then a character like Kitty who is completely different than anything that you had <laughs> been in prior? Um well first of all, uh what attracted me about the line was Chris had been dangling the carrot of this show in front of my face for months. Um before anybody at Pendant really like knew that it was happening. Um, he had, he had talked to me about how he had this concept for, uh, um, a show that was about an apocalypse and, you know, being the person who was writing the kind of like the supernatural show on Pendant, mm-hmm. um, because well, let's face it, Avalon was, got, got pretty dark there. And Chris and I had been buddies for a long time and, you know, he had told me about the show and the more he talked about the idea of doing such a heavily, um, judeo-christian yet also you know he talked about some of the other stuff he wanted to do with it and he stuff he was bantering you know bandying around with it it really just totally interested me it just sucked me right in i thought it was the coolest thing and i instantly knew that i wanted to be i wanted to work on it um and and you know at first it was just like hey chris that's awesome when you are ready to audition people let me know because i will totally be there for the first casting call you have um, and then about th- three or four months before he, um, he started really writing it, he actually approached me and said, I have an idea for a character I'd like you to play. Are you interested in playing a character? Like, like, are you interested in that kind of a role as opposed to you go and audition? And I said, I'm in. If you've got something in mind for me, you just tell me what you need. And he started to describe Kitty, um, to me and, instantly all I could think was I have to play this character I've never played anything like it she's she's you know for one thing she's a lesbian so for me that was a different experience because I'd actually even though I am uh, bisexual and engaged to a woman so in real life you know that's not that's nothing new for me um as an actor I had never actually played a character like that. I'd always played like your regular straight or like a character who was like non-sexual because it was, wasn't that kind of a role and nobody cared about that kind of thing. Um, and I had never had a character where that was actually a pretty, pretty really important part of her life. Um, including the fact that she had lost her, her, uh, her, her partner just before the beginning of the show. And, you know, then Chris starts talking about how broken she is, about how she's suicidal, and she, that was, and when he basically said, you know, she's suicidal, but she's immortal. 
So she's basically the most miserable person on the planet. I was like, boom, I'm sold. Um, I just, it was such a radical departure for anything I had ever done at Pendant before. And really since, I mean, I've done a couple of other roles, but nothing quite like Kitty. And I'm, I love her and I miss her dearly. You know, it was just, it was such a, uh, such a fascinatingly different role for me. And it was so outside my my comfort zone vocally like I mean the things that that we talked about doing I was like okay well she's a chain smoker and you know she's a she's a a deeper voiced character and then like the first time I did the role he was like no no no, that's not gritty enough stop being Asara I need you to be somebody else entirely and I was like oh okay sorry I didn't realize I was getting into my Asara range which Kitty is very similar to Asara in that sense they have Mm -hmm. a very similar vocal type when I record for either of them recorded oh that sounds so sad to say um when i recorded for either of them it was it was a pretty similar process getting into that register but then they they had different ways that i went about doing the rest of the character it it was just one of those it's one of those moments that as an actor you go oh i've never done this before and you just kind of get you find yourself getting just pulled in and before you realize it you're like yes i'm playing this character this is amazing and then three episodes in you're like oh my god i'm doing what (laughs) I had a lot of moments like that as Kitty. It's awesome. Favorite Kitty moment? Oh, I don't know. There's so many. Um, you did have some really good. I scenes. there's so many. Um, I can't decide. I'm gonna say probably. Um, there's the there was the episode where I went running into the plagues. I think it was a plague of, like flesh eating bugs or something. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Um, <laughs> it was a lot of fun to record. It was really weird, though. Um, and, uh... Oh! <laughs> One of my favorite moments was the first time I ever got to actually uh, record uh, having sex as a character. Um, oh, uh, Kitty and the nurse. That was fun. <laughs> right. Just because as an actor, I was like, well, I've never done that before, but now I can say I have. <laughs> But yeah, so um, and also I just I like the dynamic of her and and, and the nurse. Um, but I was a a big fan of her and um, M M's character. I'm mm. sorry. I know she has. I know she has a name. I just it's M. It's hard for me to ignore that it's M. And I love M. <laughs> so, and we had a lot of good chemistry between each other, and that was always a lot of fun for me. So kind of just that's really what made it for me. I think. Okay. Let's let's jump to another show. Your role has expanded over here. Oh in, boy! In the world of the Kingery. Ah yes, the Kingery. So, Tithia is also very different from pretty much everything else you've played. Ah uh, um, yeah yeah no. I mean, when I auditioned for Tithia, she was just supposed to be your typical brassy like new yorker kind of teenager in a lot of ways um aside from the fact that she's half half alien yeah but you know what though (laughs) but you know what though that's okay though because the thing that attracts people in my opinion to sci to sci-fi when when it comes to alien characters is you don't you're not attracted to to what makes them different you're actually pulled in by what makes them the same as you Mm -hmm. so for me as an actor um, I love the fact that Tithia doesn't know where she belongs and that she spent so much of her time, you know, we kind of, we, it kind of just gets talked about. Well, in the earlier seasons, it was just sort of talked about about how smart she was and, and how, you know, she was off 
writing, you know, writing papers about her own physiology because she was the only one. Um, and, uh, and, and then she kind of gets pulled into the, the life as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for, for the care, you know, for me playing her, she was a lot like, I felt like I was in college when I got the role. So mm-hmm. I kind of grew with her. Um, mm. yeah, I mean, she's, she was always fun. And when I, when I auditioned for Kingery, I auditioned for every female character and Tithia and Tommy were the two that I wanted the most. Um, and cause back at, back when they, we did the auditions, Tommy was an, was male or female when they weren't, they weren't sure what they were going to do with Tommy yet. It's funny. You should bring up that Tommy was either male or female in the casting call because this season Tommy has been both yes. male and female. Yes. And to be fair, uh, Tommy is a character that's very close to my heart in general. Just like, I mean, um, ever since I started playing Tithia, I was lucky enough that, you know, it was one of those things of the moment you find out you didn't get cast, I was like, oh, man. And then I was like, but Pete's playing him. I lost to the right person. Like, I did not even care. Um, (laughs) So, uh, but, you know, I got very lucky in that that Pete and I got a lot of scenes right off the bat with each other in that, you know, Mm -hmm. His whole first season has spent working for Tommy, and um, right. and forming this just this bond that kind of sticks no matter what. And I think one of my favorite things about Tithia, just on a personal level as the actor, is absolutely to me my favorite thing to play is her relationship to Tommy. Um, you know, she I love the way that the, that that she's been written over the years because she never falters on her um, faith with him, and even when she does. Even when she does kind of start to give up, something always comes up that restores her faith in him. And that's, I think, one of my favorite things about that character is her relationship with Tommy. I really want to see more of it. Um, yeah, I've always seen, been aware of the undertones, direct or indirect. Um, but I want to ask you about Tithy and Hooks. Yeah? The, the scenes that you guys have had since... Um, Debbie's departure have been intense. They have. They really have. Um, you, you've you've knocked it out of the park. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's been it's been really cool uh, getting to play off of hooks and um, and and by extension the very strange affair that is. Or I shouldn't say affair. That's a weird word to use for it. But the very strange <laughs> dichotomy that is also having proc there. Like what? Yeah, that, um, that was. <laughs> that's that's it's been a very weird dynamic to have to play out because on the one hand I'm having like these very real grief over losing my mother and pushing hooks away constantly because you know she doesn't really want him in her life I think for in a lot of ways she just reminds her of how like far from what Tithia saw as normal her mom was before her mom passed mm. you know I mean because when you start the show Tithia's parents were together and then she lost her dad at the end of season one, and that just spiraled her out for ages. And when she finally started to come back to her senses and come back to, like, being with her mom and starting to feel better about everything that happened, and then the new boyfriend steps in. And, you know, the guy's making bacon, and, and <laughs> I hate, I hate, like, I love that scene, but I hate that scene because I always feel the need to just, like, <laughs> poke out my mind's eye um, from after Tithia leaves the room in that scene. Um, I think she just can't. It's been so hard for her to really come to grips with the fact that Hooks wants to be there in her life and wants to be, um, 
you know, still kind of, you know, I don't think she'd call him a father. I think she'd call him, if anything, more like kind of like an uncle um, because she doesn't want a father. She's got one. He's right there, as weird as, weird as that whole situation is. Um, but, yeah, they, it, it, but we've had a lot, of, um, a lot of trying to work through her grief. And she's so messed up these days. Like, it's so funny because every time I would get a script, like, if we didn't say it in the script, like, like I think, like, when I first talked to Jeffrey about this season, I was just like, by the way, you guys are so mean to her. And he was like, I know. <laughs> like, everybody just knows you just beat up on Tithia emotionally. It's fine. She can take it. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you guys kind of get things worked out and then it kind of falls apart and then things kind of are okay and then it kind of falls apart and then it's, yeah. it's been this back and forth. Yes, it has. And I'm trying to think of where where we are on the show right now. Like, um, give me like two seconds and then look it up because I don't want to like spoil anything. I don't want to get fired from my new gig. Um, Let's see. I just got today because, you know, I get to listen to these things ahead right. of time. I just got 11 emailed to me today for preview. So that okay. means 11 should be coming out next week. Okay, yeah, okay. Season okay. 7, episode 11. Yes. We're so close, you guys. But yes, that's right. And and the episode that I that I wrote, you know, for my first episode, woo, um, kind of had them going back and forth. But you know, they're they're starting to get there. Um, and I think there's potential for them to definitely kind of keep it together eventually, um, and <laughs> not hate each other's guests constantly, or or have her constantly push him away when he's trying to help. Um, so yeah, it's been very, very you're right. It's been very intense this season. Do you and Perry ever? talk about the scenes or uh, no <laughs> like, I, I don't really talk okay so we're all terrible in that none of us i don't think any of us really talk to each other all that much about the show um we probably just do what everybody does which just go oh i've got to turn in lines if they turn them in really fast um <laughs> but uh you know you would think with me and now being on the writing staff that i could make that happen um that i could actually <laughs> talk to my fellow writers and actors um, since so many of us on the writing staff are also in the show. Um, like Perry. <laughs> yeah, like Perry and like Pete <laughs> um, and like Renee. Um, but, uh, but no, I haven't really ever had a chance to sit down and talk with Perry about how his take on the relationship is. Um, and I probably should. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, but, you know, I, I, tr I trust him as, an, as a writer and as an actor. I mean, he's been around... With, I mean, he's been with us for ages, and I've worked with him on countless things. So I trust him hands down that he's, you know, he's he knows hooks so well, just like I know Tithia so well that it's like you get the two characters, get the two characters in a room, and even though we're not there, it's all the chemistry and all of the oh, yeah. the all the di the di dynamic is there still. So, so how is it now that you are on the writing staff starting this season? Uh, it's strange. Um, it's it's. <laughs> So for one thing, you know, I've worked on a show before. I've worked on shows before with Pendant. This is not the first time, um, obviously. <laughs> but in all of the other shows I've worked on, I was still kind of like the content owner in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I wrote it. I owned it. It was mine. I had to be responsible for making sure everything got out. Whereas on this show, I only have to write two scripts a year. I, that's it. Just the two. Um, and... <laughs> And I do, you know, I did get my first opportunity to kind of um, give my my plot bunnies to Jeffrey regarding where I'd love to see the show go. Mm -hmm. um, 
specifically. And a lot, you know, to be fair, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and um not claim ignorance, but say that because it was my first year having to write for the show, some of my plot buddies may have been selfishly Tithia based. Um, but I also had others. Like, it wasn't like that was the only one. I'm really, I don't know what the season outline is yet, you guys. So don't, I hope nobody asked me any plot bunnies because I can't give them to you because spoiler ninjas. They come out of the dark mm-hmm. and kill you. Um, and I don't want to die. I want to <laughs> run on the show for a very long time. Okay, thanks, bye. Um, so, so I don't know what's happening next season. Other than what I know what I would like to see happen. Um, but I also know that no matter what the outline says, I'm going to really enjoy writing um, my two scripts, two scripts this next season. Um, this this first season, I kind of stepped in very suddenly um, because, you know, Jared was stepping down and Jeffrey was like, do you want to, you know, he, he sent me the very awesome long email that made me squee and squeal and run around the room screaming, I'm ready for Gingery! I'm ready for Gingery! Um, <laughs> It was actually about the about the noise I made too. Chris was like, "What is wrong with you? Did you just have a seizure or did a fox break in?" So, uh, so you know, I was really, really excited. And once I got that email out of my system, I was like, "Okay, all right, what do I have to do?" And like He's the end good of the email, at like the end of the email, it was like, "You have to write next month's episode." And I was like, "Oh crap!" Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much right after that email where I accepted, Jeffrey sent me the outline for the season and told me what episode was mine to work on. So I had very little prep time. It was very much a turn around and start writing. So I did. And I was like, okay, guys, don't tear it up too much. I'm so scared. I have never actually had to write these characters before. And uh, it went over really well. Like nobody, like, you know, like Pete didn't walk over and go, I'm burning the whole thing. You need to start over. Like not that didn't happen. So we're good. (laughs) Awesome. So you're enjoying your time writing. I I am. I am. Especially (laughs) after the break I took um, from Avalon. It's, it's nice to kind of get back into the writing pool. um, We'll get there. With with <laughs> audio anyway. So let's let's talk about another show. Let's talk about Shakespeare. Shakespeare, yes. Shakespeare. Now Shakespeare has been at pendant for a really long time, and then it took a really long hiatus. Yes. How exactly did Shakespeare come back? <sighs> okay, so um, uh, essentially, what happened was, um, you know, I was I was getting close to wrapping up Avalon and um, Colin Kelly has been, you know, he's been getting more, he was getting more involved with um, the production side of things for Pendant. Um, and uh, he and I got to talking and at some point, I think I, you know, I really, I'm pretty sure he was the one who brought it up. He was kind of like, man, I miss Pendant Shakespeare. It'd be so cool if we had Pendant Shakespeare back. I really miss Pendant Shakespeare. And I was like, you know what? You're right, Colin. I wish we had Pendant Shakespeare back too. That's a really cool idea. You should tell Jeffrey that you want it back. And so what kind of happened was I sort of just ban like I just called him and I just sort of accidentally banded together. And he was like, I'm gonna do this. Would you mind helping? And I was like, sure. I was a theater teacher. Like, I mean, you have to know how to direct Shakespeare in order to be a theater teacher, pretty much. <laughs> Um, so, so, you know, we kind of talked about what would we want to do? How, how, how would he want to do what would he want to do? And I was very honest. I was like, I don't have time to be a director, so you can't ask me to do that. So if you can worry about the directing part of things, you know, I will gladly, I would love to work with you on a, on a, on bringing back Pendant Shakespeare and pretty much Colin, like Colin did like the class, like, like, I feel like it was like the classic, like patron 
mentor situation that you see in like all of the soap operas and all the TV shows, like the the young the young the the, the doe eyed youthful I'm full of hope and dreams and American exceptionalism um, kid comes to the old salt and goes I need your help in making this thing happen and when it happens the movie will be amazing um, and I just kind of went no 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 and then he won me over with his charm and his youth and I and I go okay sure I will throw my name into this to help you achieve your dream and that's kind of what happened. <laughs> Uh, my name was attached to it a lot in talking about it, and we talked about how I would be there as the dramaturge to help package the scripts and interpret the scripts and make sure that whatever we were trying to do from a um, theatrical and from a thematic perspective worked. And so, um, so you know, we got we got the first one off the ground, and um, and uh, you know, we just we never looked back. We just. <laughs> Once, once it was up and running, it just it just ran itself pretty much. Colin just took over, and I just had to look through scripts. Um, and then, of course, I also I wound up auditioning, um, and I still maintain the only reason the only reason I auditioned for the Scottish play is because Colin promised me if I could pull off my David Tennant Scottish accent, I could have a role in that show. And <laughs> by God, I did it. <laughs> is is that your favorite of the Pendant Shakespeare or is there a different one? Oh, that's not fair. Um, they're all, <laughs> they're all awesome for completely different reasons. I am still a fan of the Scottish play. And I, and I, so I think for now it's my favorite, but knowing what we've got coming to the pipeline with comedy of errors, that might be my next favorite. I'm not sure. Um, because I, I love, I love both tragedies and comedies. So it's kind of like asking me to pick a favorite. It's just not fair. Um, but, uh, I guess of the tragedies we've done so far, uh, the Scottish play is still my favorite. And that's just because it all came together so well. I mean, mm-hmm. we had a great cast and a great, um, you know, Colin had a really great kind of soundscape for what he wanted to do and he just, he just pulled it off. But, you know, again, you know, Julius Caesar isn't completely out yet. So I ha- I don't listen to any of them until they're done. So I, no. I will be listening to Julius Caesar in its entirety in one day. Um, so that might change my mind because I'm also a huge fan of Julius Caesar. I'm also a huge fan of Antony and Cleopatra. So if we ever get to do that, I will be right there auditioning with everybody else. I've always had, and and I've said this before, I've always had a hard time wrapping my brain around Shakespeare, but, uh, I really, me personally, I really enjoyed Twelfth Night, especially with the music and the singing that just. We yes. Some really talented people. Yes. Yes. No, and yeah, no, you're right. Twelfth Night is just fantastic. I really hate picking favorites because every sing- ever since we've brought back, you know, Penn and Shakespeare, we're just seeing talent come out of the woodwork. I mean, it's like people are just doing amazing things. And I'm just so happy that we got it back off off, you know, off the ground and running again because it's it's just it's so it's such a wonderful thing that Pendant has to offer. Um I feel like every good theater company needs to have Shakespeare somewhere. Moral imperative. Exactly. So, you helped bring back Shakespeare, and then there's starting up a show. Let's let's talk about seminar. Yes, let's talk about seminar. There's um, so many things to talk about. You're mm-hmm. in everything, almost, but like <laughs> just about everything. <laughs> just the one show. The what? Well, two shows technically, because I haven't. I'm not in quick audio yet. Yeah. Give me time. <laughs> That's right. One of these days, I'll stop missing casting calls, folks. Where did seminar come from? Seminar was 
Jeffrey and I talking about um, sort of things that we both thought Pendant needed at the time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we were kind of starting, we were looking at branching out to new original shows and time when we had like Dixie <clears throat> and Kingery was, like I said, I turned down Kingery and, and then we started talking about another show. So we had Dixie, we had um, Kingery in pre-production and... And like Jeffrey and I were talking about, you know, what, what what could we do with the show? You know, what what would you do for a show? And he kind of said something like, you know, I had this idea for an anthology show, and I was like, really? That's awesome. Why don't we do kind of like? I was like, I was like, that would be really cool. And I kind of am thinking of a kind of sci-fi wrapper for it, like in the vein of Twilight Zone, but not quite. More like, you know, still not outer limits. And like, we just kind of like we just kind of like spitball back and forth over like um like like two or three weeks while I was studying in England back in 06. Yeah, 06. And um and by the end of it we were like, boom, we got it. Like, you know, we we had this awesome concept for this uh for the idea of essentially a uh, you know, a space a, a classroom in space and um where uh, where the, the computer was teaching students about humanity through um, anecdotes and uh, that's and that's where seminar came from so and it was kind of my um, it was kind of my I wasn't quite ready to move I, I had I had sort of paused on Avalon because I knew that I wanted to write pretty much all of it before I started producing it again and it was still a, an independent show it had nothing to do with Pendant at the time and I thought it was kind of a jerk move to work for Pendant and demand that my show be the show that I get to do when I was doing it independently so I kind of felt like I needed to, like, pay my dues with Pendant. And, like, if I was going to produce something for Pendant, I wanted it to be something that Pendant needed um, and that and that Jeffrey and I both felt really good about. And so so Seminar was born and directed, wrote, pretty, yeah, produced, um, produced that for about two or three seasons. And then by that point, I had kind of had, you know, I had done enough with it that I was like, okay, it's established. We know what the the, the feeling and the theme of the show is. Um, I had ideas for a longer storyline for the rappers, but at the time, um, we could kind of decided against it. So I was kind of putting that on hold and I was like, you know what? The show's in a good point now where if somebody else wanted to take it on and do their own thing with it, it would bring a lot of life to the show. And on top of that, I didn't want the people who are writing short stories to feel like they couldn't write something that also felt series-like. And I, so that was kind of what made me think, well, maybe if we have somebody else write the rappers, um, they could bring their own spin to it as well. And so, you know, Jeffrey and I discussed um, a transition plan and uh, wound up, um, I wound up passing over all of the directing and um, to, to Marcus and stuff like that. So, um, so then we kind of moved seminar off of me and uh, it got to fly on its own and, and still going strong. I can't believe it. It's awesome. This came in as one of the questions. Did you have any sort of overarching plot in mind when you were writing the rappers? So it sounds like you did. Can you share a little bit about that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, it was a lot. I, it was one of those things where, thankfully, okay, so so full confession, um, Colin contacted me about what my plot was when he started taking over writing. So he, he, I think he kind of got the same notion that a lot of people did, which was I must have had something planned before I stepped down. So he and I actually got to talk about what that was, and he's actually incorporated a bit of it into his own run of the show, which is really cool. Like, I'm really happy that happened. But um, initially, the overarching plot was that the 
the classroom in space concept was that this was the last group of human colonists and that the, te- the computer was teaching them and prepping them for eventually what would be a colony. So, but the, the whole idea behind it was that the students were to start learning enough that they started to think for themselves and question the system. So it kind of got a little, it was going to get a little Logan's run. It was going to get a bit Babylon 5-ish in some ways because I was, you know, I wanted to talk more about some of the drama itself. But, um, uh, you know, it kind of, it, it got it got taken in a different direction after I stepped off the show, which is awesome because it took it into a, this awesome direction that I never thought about, which was about the, the actual politics behind the, the classroom concept. So that was kind of where, where my plot was going. And I don't want to say too much more because, you know, it's, it's not my, it's not my baby anymore. Um, and Colin and I discussed what it was, what I had had in mind for it. And he's taken what he wanted to and has run with it. And um, anybody else who writes on that show afterwards, I certainly don't want them to feel like, pinned down by any ideas i had but yes that was that was kind of where it was going to go was was there was a colony ship those kids did not know they were human and it was all about what makes you human and and um and and learning that uh that they weren't as alone or as alien to humans as as they thought they were very cool um do you plan on writing for seminar in the future i I, you know i've occasionally had plot bunnies or i'm like that'd be a cool short story I should write that for seminar and then it never happens so, <laughs> so the answer is eh, maybe um it, i have to actually get something stuck in my head to the point where it demands to be heard um so if if it ever if the mood ever strikes me uh, you know strongly enough that i write it absolutely i'll go ahead and write something and send it into seminar um the other problem is that i am not naturally a short story person um i have struggled with this my entire life especially in the last 10 years of as i've gone from just being a teenager who wants to occasionally write on the side to actually trying to pursue a writing career um i cannot write short stories i don't like to write short stories so like like it's amazing to me that i can write episodes you know and chapters like, like hey awesome and then the book keeps going and i have to keep going i just it's it's hard for me to kind of encapsulate a moment in time and go from start to finish and, and not feel like I want to do more with it. And that's what it really comes down to. I don't I don't do anything small. So it's really hard for me to just write one rap one one seminar short that's completely unconnected to anything else. I, I'm I'm glad you say that because it actually leads into some questions that I have for you later about Avalon. But we'll, we'll get we'll get okay. that. Tabula Rasa. Yes. You were the voice on the phone. I was. Surprise I was on the phone. <laughs> Surprise! So you played um, the what was it, politician's assistant, or yeah, yeah, I played her. I played his personal assistant, right? Um, Jesse Cesare. Yeah. Always came off like a like a like a DA, like a like an ADA or something to me in my head. She she came off very like legalese political. So yeah. Mm. See, so we had her, and then we had who it was her, but code name Uriah. Yes. What was it like being the voice over the phone? It was very strange um, because it was the first time I'd ever played a completely clandestine role for Pendant. So it was like, it was like not only was I Jesse Cesare and I had a character and I had to talk about that character alone, um, I could not talk about the fact that I knew anything else as far as, you know, what was going on with, with Uriah and who Uriah was. And, um, you know, Jack was 
very upfront with me from the moment I started. He knew exactly who I was and how long I was going to be on the show. And he told me straight up that I was, uh, that I, who I was. So, <clears throat> so, you know, along with those same lines, I had an alter ego to play that particular voice. So it was very strange. I had to completely act like I didn't know what was going on. I don't know anything. Cause you just have to like, Play so ignorant that you're like, I don't even listen to the show. What show? I don't read the scripts. <laughs> don't ask me questions. But it was very cool. Um, I was sad to see her go. I would have loved to have played another season with everybody knowing that she was a bad guy. That's okay. Um, I, she went out with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible joke. Don't laugh at that. That's terrible. Oh. Well, you, the voice on the phone was credited as Sam Sullivan. Where did that name come from? Oh, <laughs> uh, it came from, let's see. Well, okay. It came from the fact that I need, so I needed to have a name that didn't sound anything like me, but I was heavily into my watching of Supernatural phase. Like I was starting to watch Supernatural <laughs> and I like Dean, but I was like, Dean doesn't, Dean's not a very like androgynous name. Sam on the other hand could be Samantha or Samuel. So I went with Sam for that. And then also I'm a gigantic, huge, stupidly huge fan of Smallville, but specifically of Corey Sullivan. So I picked the last name Sullivan because I liked that it had some nice, had a nice ring to it, Sam Sullivan. Like, mm-hmm. you, that person could be a P.I. Like, that's how it kind of came out in my head. So that's what I, that's what I picked. You also are, like, on Kingery, you're, you're doing double duty on, on Tabula Rasa. Well, I guess triple because you're playing two characters. Or yeah. Sort of. You're, you're doing some assistant directing. Yes, I did. I did some. I did some ADAing for the end of this most recent season. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a lot of fun. Um, it was different because um, you know Avalon is very, it's very bombastic and special effects heavy. So, you know, all of my all of my directing for Avalon was like, I need to make an entire soundscape about dying, and being in the other world. Like you know, I need to make an entire sound soundscape for an entire unholy war in Stonehenge. Like it's very different. <laughs> Very different soundscape and sound effects palette, um, and then I and then so so then I started working on this for them and for 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 Anna and, and the gang and uh, I started I like I did my first scene and I was like this is so weird there's no sound effects <laughs> none it's them sitting in a room I already had them walk into the room last scene the second scene nobody moved <laughs> what like it was just it was such a it was such a such a 180 from what I'd been doing that I was just like, oh man, it's been so long since I've had to do easy scenes. So naturally, I just like flew through all of my directing for for Tyler Rasa because it was just so so it was so simplistic compared to um compared to the big complicated things I'd done for Avalon. But also, um, I had some different things to consider in this show that I had not had to consider before. Um, Jane's uh, the fact that Jane is, is is blind and requires the cane meant that I had to compensate for the cane sound effects. Like a totally, totally unique thing for me. Um, mm-hmm. So there was a lot of me learning how to time and pace um, along with Jane and and, and, uh, and and how she moves around and stuff like that. So that was, that was cool. Like it was nice because even though it was something that was seemed so much more simple, um, my, my, pacing and my the special effects that, that were in the scenes were very different plus i got to do like some conventional you know punch people in the face stuff 
where we're meeting in an alley at night kind of stuff. So it was just like, you, you know, I got, I got to do, it, it was funny because I like approached it like a film noir. So I was approaching it very um, kind of hyper dramatic in some spots. Mm-hmm. Not too many though. But if I could have, if, if Anna had let me, I, everything would have been scored with a saxophone underneath. <laughs> a saxophone and the wind. <laughs> like every time Jane walked into her room, it would have been like she smelled like blah blah blah. <laughs> like, it would have just been, uh, I would have I would have totally gone overboard with it just for giggles, <laughs> just because I could. Because what the hell? Why not? Something to add to the blooper reel. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So are you gonna do more directing work next season? Uh, not that I know of at this point. Um, it was it was just a temporary to help get. Um, get to the end of the season. I don't. Okay. I don't know that I'm doing any more right now. Um, so I'm sure if if they need me, they'll contact me, and you know I'm available. So, but um, but yeah. So uh, I'm not. I'm not doing any more right this second. But it was nice to kind of dust off um, that particular uh, skill set. Um, my real job right now requires me to have to do a podcast for my team. So I'm having to do that too. So I'm doing <laughs> plenty of directing on the side. Believe you me. I'm gonna ask you a question that was asked. Of me, now I know where it came from. Uh, Genesis Avalon or Genesis Avalon? How is that? What? (laughs) That was kind of what was going through my head, too. That's not fair. You can't just ask me to talk about Genesis Avalon or Genesis Avalon. Like, just say you want me to talk about Genesis Avalon, and I'll talk about (laughs) Genesis Avalon. I answered Genesis Avalon, but... Okay. your, Your opinion may be different. Genesis Avalon. Let's see. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this show was epic. I have you're, to tell you're you. You're gonna get emotional about it, aren't you? I'm gonna fanboy. I'm gonna get emotional. I get to do that. So. Okay. No um, one will judge you other than Noir, and nobody cares because he's a jerk. Just feed him <laughs> chips. It's fine. Feed him chips. Okay. Um. <laughs> um. gonna like reach out from LA and smack me. Who's your stuck in chip? First, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for indulging my questions to you over the course of the show, um, even when you were making fun of me at dinner. I wasn't making fun of you. You were laughing at per me. Per se. I was <laughs> laughing in your general direction. Right. Possibly it's <laughs> something you had said. <laughs> um, even when I didn't agree with some of the things that, that happened, you were... People who create a show can be like, hey, this is my thing step off and whatever but you took the time to rationalize with me what it was that drove you to do some of those things and i appreciate that so i want to thank you for for doing that well you are very welcome but no thanks are needed because i really love talking about the show as much as i gripe about it um my favorite thing about this show has been being able to talk with people about it and the fact that it does bring up things like oh, i disagree with how that went um it's been a very it, it, it was a very rewarding experience working on avalon i just the the interaction i had with people and the fact that you guys just took so much interest in it and wanted to talk about everything everything stuff i hadn't even thought about and i had to like backpedal be like no i totally thought of that first shut your mouth um <laughs> That was that was pretty cool. Um, but yes, thank, you're very welcome. But thank you, because um, without your without your interaction and your input, and you know you being you being not afraid to like IM me or or DM me and be like, I have questions about Avalon at <laughs> eleven o'clock at night. Um, well, I was you know, up. Wouldn't have been as fun. 
And I didn't think you were awake anyway, so you would get to them eventually. <laughs> I did. I did. There, there were many times when you would, like, DM me or just be like, I'm having Avalon thoughts. And you'd listen to the episode and you'd Avalon thought away. And then at the end of it, I'd be like, crap, that's a lot of co- good questions. And I don't have time to answer all of them right now. Yes, the Avalon thoughts were fun. That's where we get many, many good jokes, like Righteous Kitty. <laughs> Which I then worked into an episode. You're welcome. Loved that. I loved that. That that brought a tear to my eye. It's true, though. Noir is a righteous kitty. He is. I have, like, the list of questions, and I don't even know where to start. So, Judeo-Christian, Egyptian, Celtic. Was there a type of mythology you originally thought to use and then decided against? Uh, let me think. Because you covered a lot. I did cover a lot. Um, Yes. Actually, there was. Um, and it's only because it's one of those things where... So so I know I've talked about this before, but in the universe that Avalon takes place in is part of a very large universe that I have other stories to tell. Um, and I'm currently working in the process of trying to write damn books and get the fucking books published so you guys can actually read them, so that you can actually read about the expanded universe. Um, but for a time, I had... A couple of Indian. I wanted to use some Indian mythology, mm. um, and I decided against it because those characters actually feature very heavily in another book series, and I felt like it was a little unnecessary to take those away. As it was, I actually still wound up working in one of my characters that is in that series, but is still an Egyptian character, um, and Pete played him for a whopping like three episodes um, at the end of season. I should say in the the middle of season four um tom connors is actually a he is actually a character who he's a, he is a demon you guys know that much just from dealing with him and knowing that he was working with morgan Le Fay. um but he is actually a character of egyptian origin and um is very important to a series that takes place in avalon's future but um has not i haven't I've, I've written it i just need to rewrite it and then get it published eventually one day maybe that would be nice working on it you know i've got avalon i've got the the future storyline called last the peacekeepers people who know me from high school know that i've been writing that for ages i've got the book of thor stuff which is also an offshoot of that same universe i've got the one i'm working on right now which is liberty parker she's an adventurer character like nate drake so i've got like tons of stuff so it's it's a very large universe and avalon was one significant chunk of that and it's really cool because it was the one that i got to do in an audio drama and it's the kind of it is the genesis i hate to say that i hate to use that word like so freely but it really is the the catalyst point where it all starts where it all begins nothing in that universe that i've written would have nearly as much impact if avalon hadn't happened had not happened first you had said something on twitter maybe about a month ago see this scares me you remember this stuff it's like you write it down i did i wrote this one down because i knew i would be interviewing you eventually oh my god Um, that's so mean i knew i wanted and i knew based on what you had said i knew this would make a really good interview question Oh my you were talking about characters dying mm-hmm. and why and you thought you did them an injustice you said you did your characters wrong yep i remember that conversation because i was angry about agents of shield i was actually angry about agents of shield <laughs> and once upon a time i was ranting about character deaths and mm-hmm. it made me spiral into reevaluating my own character decisions we'll talk about shield later um because because <laughs> i actually you made me think about that and i i came up with something okay um, but do you still feel that way? 
Because um, that night at dinner, you seemed pretty okay with killing people off. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, actually, it's it's funny. Um, and I, and I kind of do this back and forth, and it's that I feel it's, and I think what it comes down to is it was a, it was a matter of in the world of a TV show where I would have had an hour to do episodes. And if I'd had more time to think it through, Roxy would have been around a little bit longer before she died the first time. Okay. And then still killed her. Oh yeah, because well, and her because her evolution as Nox is, is critically imperative to her storyline sure. and storylines further on that are outside of Avalon's purview. Okay. Uh, what you guys don't realize is that Roxy goes on a journey after the the show, and eventually I'll get there. <laughs> but um, there's more to her character because of the events of because of the journey that she goes to becoming Nox Avalon and and coming back from that. And so so you know I would have I would have loved to have her around um more and i but but it was also one of those things where i killed her off and it was so early in the show that you kind of you do that whole thing of up oh, first season character died oh well you know like you just you just kind of roll with it and go that sucks i like that character and then you move on i sometimes i feel like i didn't do enough with asara before i killed her off because she did have and it really what it comes down to is a lot of my anger over that day when i was reevaluating a lot of my character de- decisions was the first season of Avalon, now that I'm a, I've been so far away from it and the show grew so much since that first season, mm-hmm. if I had the chance to do it all over again, which I will, and then I'm writing a book series using, I mean, it's, it's I'm doing the novelization novelizations of the radio play. Those are going to actually have some different timeline stuff. Like, for example, Roxy won't die so early. Asara and Jaina's interactions will be more, um, more, more plentiful and a bit more powerful. And you'll actually see more of the bonding that we just kind of talked about on the show without actually getting to show. And what it comes down to is, is that my actors aren't paid. They're volunteers. So I hate having to kill them off anyway because I know they're doing this for fun. Nobody wants to find out your character's dead. At least when you're an actor who's getting paid to do a show and you find out you've been killed off, you kind of just go, well, there's the end of my paycheck. i got to find a new one. And you're torn up and you're heartbroken if you really are connected to that character. But it's still a job and you still have to move on. Um, but when it's your hobby, it's it's rough because you get really emotionally invested in characters. Well, you can. I mean, I do. Not not everybody does. Like, I mean, I you know, to be fair, it's not like Marley didn't know that Z wasn't was gonna die. I mean, like I told Marley when she got cast exactly how many episodes she had as Z um, because I told her that that was that was going to happen eventually because I'd already written that far out. Um, but I and and I actually think. Z's death as is actually one of the few I'm not angry with because it was necessary. It was it was part of the larger storyline. The only mm-hmm. thing is is that I think I would have done her her the lead up to it and the post afterwards differently. That's really where a lot of my frustration came from. Is it's not that I it's not that I feel like I've done my characters wrong anymore so much as I feel like uh, I did the audience wrong because I didn't give you guys enough with those characters. And there's no such thing as enough when it's a character who's going to die off because you know if you leave them on too long and then you kill them off they either don't have the emotional impact they need or you don't like them anymore because they've had to become a jerk in order for me to kill them off if you killed off everybody that was a jerk then julian would have not made it Um, (laughs) nobody is angrier that julian is alive than pete (laughs) mylan god it is so funny to me that pete hates julian with the 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 passion and fire of a thousand burning suns (laughs) just hates the character it's like he shows up and he just kind of like tenses up and goes <laughs> I, 
I think he finally came around, though. Sort of. Sort of. I mean, Julian came around. I meant Pete. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Pete, Pete still hates Julian. <laughs> Pete still hates <laughs> And he will forever. Mm. Um, no, Julian, absolutely. Julian came around. I mean, Julian's, Julian's character arc involved having to lose people around him. Because Julian's the kind of character that he was so freaking sure of himself and just so tunnel-visioned. When, when Martin died, that it took, it unfortunately took him losing the only other person that he really did love. Mm-hmm. But he was too damn proud to just admit that he was wrong and go back to focusing on the things that were important in his life. And it, it took losing her, losing Tanya, and then realizing that he had to find a greater calling to fight for to really make that character turn around. I'm really thrilled that I managed to bring him to a point where he would go work for the voices of freedom and, um, and, and not be a complete dick. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought up voices of freedom. Great concept. Was that always something that you wanted to explore that kind of, um, revolutionary, you know, anti oppressive government type of facet? Um, uh, well, it, it's kind of, that's kind of a, it's kind of a, Two, two answer, I guess, two answer question. Okay. Um, I always wanted to explore the concept of doing ARG within Avalon, so that was kind of mm-hmm. cool that I got to do that with Voices of Freedom. And I always knew that I wanted to do um, the Plague storyline that took up a huge chunk of the beginning of Season 3, where you've got the after effects of Nox's Plague, and it takes the Lady of the Lake fully awakening and fully, you know, using Excalibur to really cleanse the city of the last of, of, of the disease that Nephthys and Kalish put over the city after, you know, for Knox. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the Voices of Freedom storyline is part of the, that, that character is actually a character from one of, um, one of the, the first things that Chris ever told me about when I met her. Um, one of the first stories she ever said, you know, I got an idea for this thing that I want to do. And um, because Patriot is mainly her baby. Whenever we do Patriot, um, that's, you know, you know, uh, Casey is a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. And so when we were talking about having to do season three and I was, you know, um, I think we were still talking about season two at the time. And I had and I realized I had I had some stuff in season two that I just didn't like how it was going. The, the end of season two it was very it was getting very insular and. And, you know, I had a lot of Carrie and Julian sitting around doing nothing in, in the Gazette office. And I was like, man, Julian, I can see doing that. But Carrie, no. And so, I, you know, I discussed it with Chris. And I was like, how do you feel about, how would you feel if I incorporated a couple of Patriot characters? Really, one major Patriot character. And she was like, which one? And I was like, I, you know, and I explained to her which character out of the ones she described that I wanted. And she was like, oh, yes, go for it. So so Casey herself is is a character that Chris Chris created and all I kind of did was help give her life and in discussing more about Patriot I realized how much of what I was doing in Avalon would work with what she what she needed set up for Patriot and we kind of that whole like that whole like six months around surrounding the production between seasons two and three um, where we had the big ARG and all the plot lines and the Gazette and the, the mock Gazette front page and stuff like that, all that stuff. Right. That was all me and Chris hashing out all of that and, and, and knowing how Avalon and Patriot would connect. Um, so, yeah. So, so like I said, it was a twofold answer. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> is, is Asara your favorite character of Genesis Avalon? Oh, no. 
I like Asara, but she's she's not my favorite now. Who is? Uh, my favorite is 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 Jaina. She's my favorite. She's you know she she yeah. And and if I had to pick like when, I would definitely say more the season three and four Jaina. Mm-hmm. Um, who's you know she goes from you know she's she's gone past her angry phase and she's into the I am a superhero I do have responsibilities and I can do them but she still still has a lot to learn in a lot of other ways. Um, but so I was just about to ask Jaina or Genesis Avalon, and it sounds like it's when they really become yes. one person. Oh yes, oh yes, um, absolutely. It is when it is when she is Genesis Avalon. It is when. You know, you hit that point. I mean, and she kind of hit that point early in season one when Roxy dies, where her voice drops closer to the Avalon range. But it's not really until season three that she's had her second, you know, she had that power up from the Lady of the Lake in the end of season two to defeat Nox. And she had a pivotal moment that ultimately we realized was the wrong thing to do when she killed Nox um, that defines her character and really makes her who she is and makes her learn how to question decisions and think differently. And, and so writing her in seasons three and four made me just, I mean, she was, she was always my favorite character. Cause she's the character. She's the hero that I designed and it was awesome. But I, that was when she went from being a character to the person I think of when I think of Genesis Avalon, I think of Jana Masterson close second, Sam Tyler, <laughs> <laughs> but I just love Sam. I am, I am so in love with Sam, and David knows it, and he uses it against me, the sadistic bastard. <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, very Old Testament. How did you come up with the idea of using that to combine with Celtic mysticism? Um, it it actually came from uh, you know I was one of those I was one of those many people who read Mists of Avalon and a lot of that Lady of the Lake, the Mort Arthur kind of things. And what I always found interesting that was definitely, definitely very heavily used in Mists of Avalon, but also in a lot of other Arthurian uh, books, was the idea that Arthur becoming king meant that there was a form of unity between the, the Christians and the Celtic natives. And since the whole idea behind Avalon is that the reason why they have the last priest and priestess of Avalon is because the Isles retreated back into the mists, as they realized that the old gods were going to fall into and be forgotten in face of the new god, it was kind of it's kind of that whole um, you know when they would convert uh, Jews in Moorish I guess convert they would convert Jews into being Christians but they were still really Jewish, so it was that kind of idea of the you know in order to be the priest and priestess of Avalon you had to be willing to play ball with the Christians. <laughs> Even if they were pretty nice Christians, I mean, you know, when it comes to when it comes to how things worked for the the people of, of Britain, you know, they they a lot of their gods got turned into saints, so it could have been way worse for them. I'm not saying it was a picnic. Please don't misunderstand. Don't send me fa- don't send me hate mail. I don't want it. But uh, you know, I I kind of designed it with the idea of they are essentially the alpha and the omega for Avalon, but yeah. since they are since they as a as a role have to form a bond between that which is different and not not from the old gods and to the old gods, I wanted to use Genesis and Exodus because I felt that those were two those were two ter- two the two books and two names that really represent a lot of what they do. You know, Genesis creates life, Exodus uh, takes it away, um, and and by that same token, they are the end and the beginning of Avalon. Um, they 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 are the sole bearers of the power. You know, there's it's not like there's somebody else out there just hanging out, going, "Hey, 
I also have power from Avalon, you know? Um, no, they're it. I mean, the Lady of the Lake is a is an isolated, different situation. And Adelwulfa is an isolated, different situation. As is um, Nox. Um, even though she called herself Nox Avalon, that may have been more to just mess with Jaina's head. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, it, you know, it was the whole, like, it was the whole reverse Flash thing. Like, I'm not really the Flash, but I'm reverse Flash. <laughs> you know? It's exactly that. Um, in fact, um... I'll, I'll go ahead and drop this little bit of spoiler for Roxy's story. Um, after she realizes that she is part of Arthur's court, her role with his court is as much a is is is, is important to her, but it's also not the only thing that defines her, because she's actually not not Knox Avalon. She is Knox Karnak, and there's actually a looks Karnak that goes along with her. So much like Genesis and Exodus, but you guys haven't met looks Karnak and I have to write those storylines for you <laughs> to know what they are. <laughs> but yes, just so, so, so along those same lines, Knox, Knox was never really Knox Avalon. She, that was the name given to her by her, by the people brainwashing. Right. And that was solely to screw with Avalon's head. So let's, let's talk about, uh, we could delve into different parts of the storyline and, and from first season, second season, um, you had your mom play one of the characters. I did. Which was, she, she was, she was great, especially in the, in the flashbacks. Uh, in, uh, I know. Arc. She did awesome. I was so impressed with her. I was like, mom, you did great. You're awesome. <laughs> in our previous conversations, you had told me about Patriot. And I think that's, what we called the when we talked about it spinoff yes um and you had said you wanted to take a year off damn it i knew you were between... gonna say this <laughs> <laughs> oh yes I so let's see looking at the pendant website <laughs> episode 50 aired january 29th 2014 so i'm just shy of 13 <laughs> months yes, so that. <laughs> i've been good yes you have I've only made references to hey isn't there gonna be a blooper reel that's the only thing i've said out there for nearly which is terrible because 30... there's a I, there are bloopers i just haven't taken the time to find them nearly <sighs> 13 months i've been really good you've been very good thank you but now i have you here <laughs> You're mine! <laughs> what's going on? I like how casual that was. So how, what's happening? Um, <laughs> so uh, what, what, I will say this. Um, when I said I wanted to take a year, that Chris and I wanted to take a year off, we did not expect our lives to kind of change the way they have in the last year. In the last year alone, um, we both, she, she, took a different job that was a step up and then went back to her old company and took a, a, a higher, you know, a job that was a bit more responsibility and, you know, more money, always nice, um, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I took a, a, I took a promotion that is very, very mentally um, taxing. It's much more than it's, than it was in the past. Um, and, uh, and, and also along with those same lines, in order to take this promotion, we had to relocate halfway across the country back from Dallas to Winston-Salem. Um, so, so I am now back on the East coast again, 
which is awesome for all my East Coast pendulums. Um, but uh, but it does mean that what was supposed to be a year of relaxation, where everything was the status quo, became a, a year of just like for a whole year, just like a roller coaster. Um, and so things you, are finally leveling out now. So you're looking forward to escaping back into Genesis Avalon. Oh, that's very cute. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love the way you said that. Dude, I hate you. <laughs> it's very sweet. Um, uh, okay, do so, so you if it wasn't so good. I know. <laughs> so here's the deal. I, I still want to do Patriot. Chris and I have we're caught. We've we keep talking about it. One of us brings it up every so often. It's not. It's not happening right now. But that's not that it's not going to happen in the future. Um, it's just that um, at, as, as of right now, so I've taken on the, the kingery duties, and I'm totally happy with that. But I am also attempting to write novels finally. Like, like I took my year off in the hopes that I would get a novel done. Well, unfortunately, with the relocation and everything, I've gotten half a novel done. So, so right now, that plot bunny is kind of the loudest one in my head. Um, once I get the book done, which now that I'm not, now that my life is not nearly as stressful as it was when I first took on the new job and we first moved and we were in the, the first, like the, like the first six months after I, we moved were a nightmare. Um, but now that they're kind of settled again, I'm hoping that I will be able to write much faster and get through the book. And then when that happens, Patriot will be heavily discussed with Chris. Um, that being said though. While I haven't said anything about Patriot, if you guys don't follow the Voices of the Freedom Has a Voice Twitter handle, you should follow it because I can guarantee you, Casey will say something before I will because I'm not telling you people nothing. <laughs> so, because this man right here writes down what I say and then like stamps <laughs> it with like lid and goes, "Here, Superman, take that." <laughs> The Twitter handle for Voices of Freedom is? Uh, Freedom has a voice, but there's no E at the end of it. Okay. Because it got cut off. Mm. So, yes, follow Freedom has a voice with no E. And, yes, like I said, if if there is movement on Patriot, you will hear it from Casey before you hear it from me. Because Freedom has a voice. Freedom has a voice. And if you guys remember where we left Avalon, things in Britain were going to be hunky-dory because the king had just returned. Um, things in the U.S. were not. All right, I got a couple bullet questions for you. All right. Favorite pendant show? Oh, man. Um, okay. Uh, Kingery. Favorite pendant character? <gasps> oh, no, that's tough. Um, 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 um. Oh, God, so many. Um, uh, Tommy Arkell. Tommy, yep, it's Tommy. I'm going to read this one word for word as it was submitted. When and what is your next pendant project? What's the next original Cat Pride joint? <laughs> okay. Um, next original pendant product project will eventually be Patriot. I can tell you that for sure. But just I can't tell you when. But eventually it's going to happen. That If I do another production for pendant, that's going to be it. Okay. Rennie. Versus Asara versus Tithia versus Kitty Shadow. Go. Asara. Yep, Asara wins. No, seriously. If you wanted me to do that in voices, it's not going to happen, folks. <laughs> 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 that was also read to you 
as it was submitted. That was awesome. That's a great I like question. that question. I do the too. The person who, who submitted that, you got to keep submitting those, that kind of question. That's awesome. So I had to sit in there and think about it. And I was like, ah, no, sorry, I would still win. Although, to be fair, though, it would probably be like one of like, like, like the Wolverine versus Predator fight where like Asara would win and then her and Kitty would both die at the same time. Um, Do you have anything going on that you would like to promote? Uh, sure. Um, actually, so, so while I have been kind of quiet with Pennant as far as taking on a bunch of new stuff. I did have a little bit of time to work with Lincoln Audio. Um, and if you guys have not heard about Lincoln Audio, um, Brian Lincoln is awesome. And he actually does some work with Dunsteef Magazine, which is uh, another audio drama group. And um, I actually kind of fell in with Dunsteef about two years ago, just a little bit. Like, I, I'd done, like, one or two roles for them. Um, from because Tobias Queen kind of pushed me in their direction. I was like, hey, they need a role for something. And uh, and Brian liked the voice I did on one episode of Dunsteef so much that he um, asked me to start working with him on some stuff for Lincoln Audio. And um, I've done, I, I've got, I did, I just completed a really cool old school, like in the style of the Phantom and the Shadow uh, superhero radio drama called The Hidden Harbor Mysteries. And I play the main villain of like the first like 16 episodes. Her name is Mistress Penumbra. And she has a voice. I got to do my Kate Mulgrew voice. Finally. Um, <laughs> I didn't do this voice for like years. And I finally got to do the Kate Mulgrew. Um, basically, like if you're a Voyager geek like me, Mistress Arachnia, uh, Queen of the Spider People from the Captain Proton <laughs> show. Like, it was that kind of a voice. Let's hear it. Um, huh? Let's hear it. Uh, you should go listen to it. <laughs> No, no, seriously, though, no. don't don't I don't want to do it here. I want you guys to go and listen because it's done with like the crackly audio and like it's all you know, it's, it's so period like specific and, and oh, it's so good. And the music's really good. Like go listen to it. It's such an awesome experience down to the fact that it's brought to you by a fictional cigarette company. Um, like it's so much fun. Um and it's not, it's not like, 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 you know, Dixie was very, was very tongue in cheek. This is a very serious show and it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun and that it's, it's serious in the very, the Lone Ranger, the Phantom kind of way. Um, and Dixie had its own sponsor as well. It did. Yes. Yes. Imket. Um, so yeah. So, uh, Hidden Harbor Mysteries is awesome. The cast is fantastic. It's, it's kind of a small cast, which is really nice. Um, and you can find that at uh, LincolnAudio.com. So Lincoln, like the president, like the car, um, audio.com. And then um, I am actually about to start working with, with Brian on another show. However, I can't actually talk about it yet because it's in pre-production and I have not been given permission to discuss what's going on on the show. But I will say that I am really excited the premise for the show is freaking phenomenal i am so so blessed to be in that show i can't wait like i mean i'm just i'm so excited it's going to be a really meaty opportunity for me as an actor and um i get to use a voice i get to use a couple of aspects of voices that i haven't been able to use in a while and i kind of bring them together for a new character and um and the, the concept behind the show is very novel i have never actually heard a show like this before so um please go check out lincolnaudio.com subscribe you know you know get it on your fave page because when this show starts to get announced and actually starts to go somewhere i will be the first to tell everybody about it um i'm really excited to be a part of it but i, I can't i can't talk about it yet <laughs> Can people still find you online? 
Oh, absolutely. You can still find me online. Um, I am still at Genesis Avalon on Twitter. That hasn't changed, and it probably will never change just because so many of you know me as Genesis, as the at Genesis Avalon Twitter. Um, so you can still find me there on Twitter, and then um, I do have my KAT at PendantAudio.com address. I still check that. I don't get a lot of emails in there, but, you know, hey, I still check it. And, um, yeah, so you can find me either of those places. Uh, those are the two that I frequent the most. I'm also on Tumblr, but that's just more like I lurk now. I'm not really on Tumblr. Um, and, um, and I, I have fanfic out there in the ether. That is <laughs> ff.net and archive of our own. And it's all, right now it's all like Supernatural and Smallville. And then I've got one, one random Sharon and Steve Captain America thing that I wrote for somebody as a gift. So yeah, so yeah, that's uh-huh. I mean that's, that's where you can find me. Yeah, it's naughty. You shouldn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really good. <laughs> like I'm pretty proud of it, but it's naughty. Like <laughs> just know what you're getting into, folks. <laughs> wow, thank you so much, Cat. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. It's been ages since we uh since I had an interview, and clearly you guys had a lot to ask me. Because we've been talking for almost, well... A long time. A long time. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time. Folks can find me on Twitter at JG underscore QA or on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash J-O-R-D-A-N dot G-O-T-T-L-I-E-B dot 5036. We must do this again. Yes, <laughs> we must. Oh, and by that point, episodes of Henderson and Havner that I'm in, like, in a longer span than, like, two lines, we can talk about then. Yes. Awesome. Woo! Bye! And we will send this back to Jeffrey and Susan. It's over. It's over. It's over. Just the interview, it's over. And remember, quick audio comes out every Monday and Friday. Pick up your hot steaming episodes. That's a little weird, huh? Little. <laughs> Coming out Wednesday, March 4th, Kingery, Season 7, Episode 11. Good morning. Oh, God. We're still here. Next time on The Kingery. I wanted you to know everything's set. The Marines are blended in with your family, and I have them all on a secure comlink. So we're all set. We really don't know what we're getting into yet, do we, Tommy? Nope. We all must eventually die. Some sooner than others. Some die quickly. Some die slowly. But we all will die someday. Well, I just wanted to thank you both. All three of you. For your service. Huh? Well, come with me. There's so much to show you. Only at PendantAudio.com We will talk about this later. Over dinner? If we survive. And coming out Wednesday, March 11th, Julius Caesar, Act 4. These many, then, shall die. Their names are pricked. Next time, on The Pendant Shakespeare. Most noble brother, you have done me wrong. Let me tell you, Cassius, you yourself are much condemned to have an itching palm, to sell and march your offices for gold to undeservers. I, uh, and 
itching palm? You know that you are Brutus that speak this, or by the gods this speech were else your last. The name of Cassius honors this corruption, and chastisement doth therefore hide his head. Chastisement? Remember, March. The heights of March, remember. Did not Greek Julius bleed for justice sake? Art thou anything? Art thou some god, some angel, or some devil that makest my blood cold and my hair to stare? Speak to me what thou art. Thy evil spirit, Brutus. Why comest thou? To tell thee thou shalt see me at Philippi. The calm before the storm unfolds when Julius Caesar, Act 4, premieres on March 11, 2015, only at PendantAudio.com. La la la, the show is almost done. That's the end of this program for the month. That's what you get. It's done for you. <laughs> You're in a singing mood today. Oh! That might fool some people into thinking you might actually be able to sing. You think that was good enough <laughs> to fool people? Really? Almost. Really? Almost. Oh. Keep trying. Oh! <laughs> no? Well, yes. Okay, you should just stop. No. The mystery is important. <laughs> <laughs> Be sure to stop by the website at pendantaudio.com, the Yahoo group at groups.yahoo.com/group/pendant, the Facebook page at facebook.com/pendantaudio, the Twitter feed at twitter.com/pendantweb, the Tumblr pendantaudio.tumblr.com, and wait, the Tumblr's the last one. And uh, what did you miss? I like you all very much. <laughs> We'll see you back here <laughs> next month. This is Susan Bridges. And Jeffrey Bridges, who really does like you very much. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I like them too. Shh, there's something much more important to talk about. Did you see that Twitter dress? It is black and blue. Don't you even give me any of your white and gold nonsense or you get it right the hell out. It is black. It is totally... And it is blue. It's white and gold. It is black. And it is blue. Oh, it is blue with black stripes. Wrong. Listen. It isn't. Listen, we are going to nope. have words. Nope. Okay. Nope. Are you a... Yes! Boy? <laughs>